Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're live for another forever mighty postgame show. Uh, the Ducks continue to start every season not going 4-0. I'm Patrick alongside Eddie. Eddie, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Uh, it feels like this is an identical postgame show to the last time they played Arizona where they got outplayed and they somehow managed to pick up points and this one didn't get the win. But honestly, if you look at the way this game went, I'm happy with them picking up a point. Can't be can't be too upset. You kind of have to be picking up seven out of the possible eight of the first uh, available points here for the Ducks. Um, obviously not getting the win tonight. And uh, it's kind of hard to do that when you're constantly being outchanced and outshot, as was the case again for the Ducks. Um, before we hop into the game, we got some pregame notes. The biggest news that's come out is Ryan Kessler, baby, was making his start. Kess Boss was back in the lineup for the Ducks, um, which just makes you assume that he's ready. He was cleared to play by the doctors, and they were very careful about bringing him back. Um, they said they didn't want him to come back until he was 100%, but how good was it to see Kessler on the ice? It was great, but it was kind of random, right? We didn't really hear anything about it, and then it all kind of just developed today where he just made his way back into the lineup. But it's great to see. I mean, they especially need it with Getzloff still out. So now they've got at least can roll Henrik and Kessler and have two uh, experienced NHL centers out there. I believe Sam Steele was still centering the third line, or what was considered the third line. And I'm not sure. I don't think Lindstrom was actually centering the fourth line, but he was playing again tonight. But great seeing Ryan Kessler back. Hopefully he's actually 100% healthy. He looked okay in this game. He gets a goal, which is great, and we'll talk about that later. Um, I feel like he was just kind of testing the waters, though, right? He he was getting into the, some battles here and there, but you know it wasn't necessarily the Kessler we're used to seeing. Whether we're ever going to see that guy again, um, I don't know. I think we'll have to see a couple more games now and, and really wait till he gets comfortable being back. I feel like it's one of those things where you know you're okay, but you're still tentative on how you're going to play yeah. just because you're afraid. Like your body's probably healed up if you're him, right? And you, you go into the corner, you kind of go, ah, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Um, so just maybe a little apprehensive and, you know, just a little bit of nerves coming back into the game. But I thought he looked pretty good. Um, Gibbons and Shin were scratched tonight. No loss on the Shin there. Um, honestly, that's uh, probably a blessing for the Ducks and with a much faster Coyotes team on the on the ice. I'll get the get the bigger defenseman that's a cone with a reach rather than Shen. Um and gets off apparently still out with a groin injury now they're talking about. They said he's definitely not playing this weekend, but uh, could be back as early as next week. And of course, your goaltenders, John Gibson, of course, makes the start against Anti Ranta. Eddie, let's kick off this injury and get the first period started. Try to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center, Perry, scoops, Corey Perry! 
Able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around his front. Score! Tamu Solani with the steal. Three of the fans won one. to talk about the fact that that Ryan Getzlaff groin injury kind of just randomly leaked out today. Like, it, it wasn't like it was announced. I think it was uh, Elliot Tiford just reported in his tweet that Kessler has a groin injury. And I think this is the or first Getzlaff. time. Yeah, sorry, yeah, that Getzlaff has a groin injury. I think this is the first time we, we heard what it was because it was lower body until today. And then it kind of just randomly leaked out. I didn't even see it. I heard it on the broadcast. So yeah. I wasn't aware on Twitter um as to what was going on maybe i i don't know, maybe i liked it eventually but in the beginning i was like what he has a groin injury so i don't know man i i'm just glad we kind of know what it is because it kind of gives you an estimation of when he's going to be back um they seem pretty optimistic about his return but uh, still concerning there's no ease and then no update on andre kasha but let's get to that towards the end of the show we got the first period to come up here and you know the ducks you really got to get get things going early and they did. And let's just talk about the goal, man. We got to talk about Ryan Kessler. He's the big story here. No one's going to want to hear about people taking penalties and killing uh, and killing him or or whatever. They want to talk about Ryan Kessler now that he's back in the lineup. Let's take us through that uh, uh, Kessler goal. Yeah, he's right where you want him to be, right? He's he's back with Cognano. A shot goes right to the front of the net, and they're just scrambling. And and that's what you want. You want Kessler in front of the net. Cognano and him get a couple whacks at it. Eventually, it squirts out to Ryan Kessler, who just throws it into the empty net. Uh, and this is exactly what you want to see from him. This is the areas he needs to be in. He needs to be creating havoc in front of the net. He needs to be going down uh, and, and pressuring guys and forechecking. And, and he did a lot of that early on, and he got rewarded for it. And honestly, it was great to see. You, you saw the reaction from everybody on Twitter uh, welcoming Ryan Kessler back before the game. The fact that he ends up getting a goal early in the first period, it's just icing on the cake. It's, it's great to see him back and great to see him on the score sheet. Yeah, you know, it seemed like he had four chances to bury that puck along with Andrew Cogliano. Like, I don't know what the hell the uh, the Arizona defense was doing. They're just standing around watching these guys whack at the puck. If I'm anti-Ronta, I'm lo- going to lose my mind at that point. Like, what are you guys doing? I can't just sit here and swim on the ice. Somehow, I, I'm sure Kessler was grabbing his pad some way, whether it be actually physically grabbing his pad or just mentally grabbing Ronta's pad. I'm sure anytime he scores a goal in close, somebody's going to say that. Oh, of course, man. That, uh, yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, just ask Cam Talbot um, if you want to go back in history, right? Kessler and the and the pad grab, the infamous pad grab, pad grab on uh, that crazy night on Catella. But uh, yeah, as Drew McCool in our chat says, Kessler is grittier than gritty. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, the old Kessler, maybe. <laughs> is gritty really gritty, <laughs> or is he just gritty because his name is gritty? Like. I don't think Gritty's gritty. He's just kind of a dick. I mean, he's like t-shirt gunning people in the, in the the warm up for the Flyers, and I don't know. He's just everywhere now, man. He's like he's everywhere. I saw him like Barstool Sports did like their pizza review thing. He was there. I think he was on Fallon. I mean, this thing's just blown up. I, I mean, we'll talk about this at the end of the post game show. But how is like I don't understand. I mean, this didn't happen for Edmonton, and their mascot was just as weird, just as ugly. Yeah, but no one cares about Canadians. That's I think that's the big thing. Oh, you know, no one cares. They just they just want to talk about <laughs> the uh, the big markets in the NHL are not uh, north of the border. So Kessler gets the Ducks up on the board. It's one nothing, and then uh, Captain Breakaway gets denied. Maxime Comtois again. That guy's all over the ice, man. I think he had another whale of a game uh, today. I think his line with uh, when he was paired with Henrique and Silverberg, I feel like that was the most dangerous line on the ice. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and it's nice to see him get rewarded for playing so well and getting put with two established NHLers in Henrik and Silverberg. And he just continues to play well. Not only getting the breakaways, obviously didn't cash in on them in this case, but just being in that position. And he's actually set up some really nice plays. I think later on in the game, he sets up, I think, Silverberg or Henrik for a really good chance in front, and they almost score. So surprised to not see this line on the score sheet. But I still think they were the best line of the night. And a lot of that is due to what uh, Maxine Comtois has been able to do so far. Or maybe it has a lot to do with this being uh, Jacob Silverberg's contract year. And he's not re-signing yeah. with Anaheim, it appears, <laughs> right? That's what it looks like. He's just going to play his way out of Anaheim. He's going to light it up this year. Uh, he's been killing it. 
And uh, Henrique looks good, too. I, I know we just talked about Comtois, but that whole line, man, I hope they stay together. But it'll be interesting to see as we approach that nine-game mark, just five games left possibly yeah. for Comtois this season, man. So kind of have to see where that goes. But, uh, I mean, he what, he had like four breakaways tonight, I feel like. He had At two least. in the first period. Yeah. One in OT um, and then probably a couple in between there. I mean, he just seems to get at least one every period. You know, and one of the big things I want to get to here, too, is Gibby had to deny Stepan on a two-on-one. And that's something I felt like happened all game. The Coyotes were able to create offense on the rush and do it in spurts to where they're getting two-on-ones. Odd man rushes up and down the ice for the Coyotes tonight, but Gibby stood tall. Um, then they would get on a, on the board with just, I mean, I guess you can't save them all. A power play goal by Strom. He walks down from the circle and snipes it past Gibby. Uh, from the, the initial shot, I thought it went five-hole, but it went blocker side. That's 1-1. One, one. How do you feel about that goal for Gibby? Uh, I think it's a tough one because, I mean, Strom gets in a really good position. He He's right at the bottom of the circle. And I think Gibby plays it pretty well. I mean, Strom picks a corner right underneath his blocker and, and above his pad, and that's a tough one to save, I think. I mean, I'm sure knowing Gibby, he'll probably want that one back. But uh, I think it's a big goal, not only for Arizona in this game, but for, for Dylan Strom as well. I mean, you know, he hasn't scored a goal at all this season for him to finally get his first on the board. He's going to be a big part of this team. So for him to be able to pot one on the power play especially is huge for him. Yeah, so is, they've been waiting for that kid to come around, right? I mean, he's oh, been yeah. talked about in Arizona for a long time. And this is kind of like I feel his show me season because they've been trying to bring him up and, and give him opportunities to stay with the big club and he hasn't done it. So maybe this is a good sign um, for Dylan Strom and the, and the Arizona Coyotes, but that period would end one, one moving on to the second. I mean, lo and behold here, we're talking about come to on Henrique, another huge chance, man. Uh, this line is basically taking over for what the, uh, the Raquel and Getzoff line used to be. I mean, I know that uh, Getzoff is injured right now, but, I mean, it's a good thing that uh, we have this young kid to spice up this other line and essentially bring it to life and take over. I know that they, like you said, they weren't on the score sheet tonight, but they, again, were all over the ice here. Yeah, and he's kind of doing exactly what Andre Kasha did on uh, Adam Henrique's line last year, just providing energy, just kind of being all over the place. He's forechecking, he's, he's laying the body, he's playmaking, he's scoring goals. I mean, he's doing everything, really. He's, he's giving, been giving a huge chance being able to make this team and I think he's one of – I mean, I, I am impressed with what the other guys have done, but he's taken the reins and run with it. And said, he's telling management and everybody in here, he's saying, I want to stick around with this team. And you can see it every shift he's on the ice, he's looking to make something happen. Um, and, and that's something we saw from a lot of these guys in, in the rookie tournament and in preseason. But he's been able to carry it over into the regular season, which is huge. And, and I mean, you saw it in the first period with a couple chances he had and then early on setting up Adam Henrique. Um, I mean, this line could have had two or three goals in this game if Ronta wasn't so good. Would have been helpful, Comtois. At least one or two of those damn breakaways you should have buried, kid. Um, <laughs> moving on here, the Ducks go on a power play, but uh, it would be for not. It's just for whatever reason, the power play has not looked good. I mean, honestly, since the first game, and I know we're, I mean, my God, four games into the season, so it wasn't that long ago, but I mean, it just hasn't been great, um, and it didn't look good here. As they miss a shot down low on the rush. Puck caroms all the way around out of the zone. And who else other than the uh, shorthanded goal king? Uh, Grabner gets the puck, goes in on a 2 and one and executes just what was a perfect pass over to Richardson, and he buries it behind Gibby, and the uh, Coyotes have a 2-1 lead. Yeah, man. I mean, we were so pumped up in that first game about the power play, how quick they were moving the puck, how well it just seemed to work out. And then ever since then, and I know, again, of course, they lost Ryan Getzlaff, and they have a lot of guys out of the lineup, but it just hasn't looked the same. It's looked like last year, which is worrying because, you know, that now it's only one game where it's looked good, and you've got three games where it hasn't looked good. I mean, last game it was them taking penalties and, and basically negating the power play for the first two, and this one it just didn't look good. And then, of course, Arizona getting the shorthanded goal never looks good on your power play. So I, I, I don't want to say it's, it's going to be awful all year yet. Because you look at who they have to throw it over the boards. It's not the ideal situation. I mean, you're missing Getzlaff, Perry, Kasha. Kessler just came back. I mean, these are all guys likely to be on power play one or power play two. So once they all get back, I'm sure it gets a little bit better. But there's still some system issues I think they have to work out. And, and they still don't have that trigger man. I mean, how long have we said put Montour on that side, on that left side? Put Raquel on the left side. Have somebody who can shoot the puck. And they still 
seem to just want to get away from that. I think that's a, a big reason why this power play is struggling as well. Oh, it's like they either try to throw the puck in from the blue line, like uh, Cam Fowler will throw it in from the blue line. I know, I know Hampus has had uh, opportunities there. He just throws it in from the blue line, try to get a shot on net through six guys. Um, or they go for that down low bang, bang play right off the half wall to below the goal line to the slot, which is great. But if everyone knows that's your setup and you don't have a trigger guy on the half wall that's ready to take a one-timer or walk in for a shot, you know, something, it just becomes a moot point. The Ducks need to figure something out um, that's going to make this power play uh, click because it just doesn't look good, man. It's it's outplayed. And against a fast team like the Coyotes, you can't afford to be giving up fast breaks, as you'll see just what what just happened is you're going to get a breakaway against you and, and get scored on. So. Uh, just hopefully they're able to figure this out. They got a long way to go. 78 more games. I know I'm ranting here, but uh, I kind of want to get, you know, success faster. You know, when we have $30 million not playing on the ice, um, but I don't want to digress too much. Let's talk about another guy, another kid on this team, man, that's uh, really stood out. And I noticed him a lot in the second period. Lundestrom has just been really, really good, man. I know the, he had his opportunity of his career so far, his short career to bury it in overtime the other night and didn't do it. But, Man, is this kid responsible, Eddie? I mean, yeah. going up and down the, all three zones, he's he's lifting sticks, he's back-checking, making smart passes. I mean, they need players like this. He's he's a solid, solid player, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's going to be the, the shutdown center for this team in the future. I mean, you can already see what he can bring to the table and how he can perform against men in the National Hockey League. He did it all year last year in the Swedish Hockey League. You know, the offense is still a bit raw. We saw that last game, couldn't cash in in a couple opportunities, but he was in position. And even when we saw it in, in the rookie tournament in preseason, there were a couple times where he flashed some offensive brilliance. Uh, and it's there. It can happen. It's not consistent, but he has it. And that, I think, coupled with the fact that he's such a responsible player in his own zone, in the neutral zone, even in the offensive zone at times, um, it's going to make him a really solid, I think, second-line center, if not, you know, serviceable third line center where he's you know better than the average third line center but you throw him out there in in situations where you need to get stuff done i think he's going to be huge for this team again the same with comtois i don't know if he sticks around it's going to be tough once everybody comes back to solidify a roster spot for him but i mean he played over 16 minutes tonight obviously the team sees something in him same as what we're seeing and they trust him and that goes a long way if you're going to try and stay up with this team oh uh, absolutely man so I mean, and he he'd have to go back to he'd have to go back to his team in Sweden. He if wants he gets, like, to. He has yeah, the option yeah. to go to the goals, though. But I think he wants to. From what I've heard and what I've read is that he would rather go back to Sweden if he doesn't make the uh, doesn't make the Ducks full time, which makes sense. I mean, more comfortable situation for him, probably a better league competitively to play in. So I, I guess it would make sense for him to go back there. No, nah, I, I agree too. Why would you want to go back down to the goals? We can go play in Sweden. I mean, I would rather be in Sweden right now as myself. Um, moving on here, the Ducks give up yet another two-on-one. I just they have, they have a couple great shifts in the Coyote zone, and it, I don't know what it is about this team. They want to play fast, but they're getting out skated by faster teams. And I mean, the passing in this game, man, it was all over Twitter too. I know, but just watching it, and it's been this way. It's not just tonight. It's really been uh, just. Of ongoing problem these to start this season where these guys aren't making competent passes um they're half-assed passed or they're kind of whiffed on or they're just way off the mark i don't know what's going on with this team but you know giving up odd man rushes and missing passes is not the way to win hockey games i think it's the difference between playing fast or trying to play fast and actually being a fast team when you look at the coyotes they're a fast team they have fast players, they play a fast style, they're all confident and comfortable playing that style. And then you've got the Ducks, who are trying to play fast, but you can tell not everybody's confident with that play style, not everybody's even familiar with it, because you've got so many new faces in this roster with all the injuries. And I think that's the difference, and, and I've said this word pretty much on every show I think we've had, but the Ducks style just seems frantic, and that they're trying to play fast, but they're not really accustomed to it. So they're making mistakes, they're trying to move the puck up quickly, and they're, they're missing passes or they're, they're missing assignments, and, and then it's end-to-end rushes. And you're not going to beat a team like the Arizona Coyotes in an end-to-end battle and unless you have an amazing goaltender in John Gibson like you did in the first game they played Arizona and like in this game where he was probably the hero for the Ducks again. Uh, so it, it's, it's tough to really play that style. Maybe it'll get better throughout the regular season when – you know, they get everybody back, everybody's healthy, and they get accustomed to playing the style. But 
from what we've seen so far. I mean, we said last show that this was going to be a big test for this team. They've already seen Arizona once. They know how they play. They know how fast they are. Can they get accustomed to it and match up against it? And they couldn't. And they were lucky to come out with one point. Yeah, no, I agree, man. They've got a long way to go. But uh, mo- moving on, the Ducks get a goal. Ben Street's first NHL goal. Dude's 31 years old. He was he was talking about it at the intermission, saying, like, you know, I kind of feel like I'm cursed or I haven't gotten a goal. But uh, he gets set up by none other than uh, Ducks King passer, Marcus Patterson, with a long stretch pass all the way up the ice. And honestly, Ben Street, I know he scored his first NHL goal, but that is definitely one that Antti Ranta is going to want to have back. It, and there's... There's no reason that puck should have found a hole, but it did. A seeing eye shot, short short side high on Antti Ranta, and the Ducks tied the game at two. Similar to uh, Brandon Montour's goal against San Jose, except Montour's was on the backhand, where you know Jones should have had that one. Uh, Ranta definitely should have had this one. It's a great shot, but I mean, he picks the spot that's open, but I think Ranta was cheating a bit, maybe not expecting a guy like Ben Street to make that shot, maybe expecting him to just kind of throw it low or wrap it around the boards. And he got outplayed. I mean, kudos to Ben Street because that's a great play to notice that the goalie is, is kind of cheating a bit and reacting to the type of player he might think you are. Uh, and he picks the corner. And, I mean, the Ducks are a bit lucky in how the second period was going for them to be tied. No, man, that's that's kind of the story of, the, of this game. They're, they've been very lucky to remain close in these last games. Tonight was no exception. The Coyotes controlled the majority of the play. Sure, we're tied 2-2. Two um, but when it comes to just, I mean, the amount of rushes going back and forth, a lot of them are on the Coyote side, man. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the Ducks are going to have to do to straighten things out, but they got to, they got to figure it out because they get completely hemmed in at the second half of this of this period for minutes. It felt like in their own zone. Um, again, more bad passing, giving up another two on one, but thankfully, Panic was able to uh, miss that shot on Gibby in the second period tie game. Going into the third period, the Ducks just kind of – I felt like they were playing back on their heels in the third period. Like they were, like I don't know, protecting a lead. Yeah. Uh, they, did, they didn't really have the fire under their asses that uh, you would think they would to, to come out and push this Coyotes team. Um, Comtois, Silverberg, and Henrique, I mean, almost convert, but Henrique was, it just hits Ronta high. Um, Comtois, again, creating plays along with Silverberg. That line looks great, man, and it's, it's, it's a great thing to see, but – if that would have converted, how sweet that would have been. Oh, it would have been great. I mean, the Ducks were against the play here, so they needed something. Unfortunately, it couldn't go through because that was pretty much, I think, the only chance they really had in the entire period. I mean, it was continued over from the second where the Coyotes were just outplaying them, outchancing them. I think that was the Ducks probably one of two scoring chances they had in that entire period. Arizona ended up having five, probably should have had a lot more, uh, barring a couple misplays on their part. But, you know, how do you go into, you know, you know you're going into this third period. You're a little bit lucky to maybe be tied, and, and you've seen it all season this far. How do you go into the third and, and lay an egg like they did in this one? Just completely gave up it almost. They were sitting back, like you said. They just didn't want to really pressure the play. And they just let a fast team like the Coyotes just keep coming at him and coming at him. And, and thank God John Gibson is in there being able to stop some of these pucks because you can't do that. You can't do that against any team, but you especially can't do that against this team. Not at all. And they, it's like the, they just gradually faded halfway through the, the second period after they scored into the third. I just, I don't know, man. It just didn't look like like they wanted it. I mean, there's no way they're tired. They're not playing back-to-backs. It's, it's a fresh part of the season. There's no reason for it. Um, I guess maybe you could say that a lot of their regulars are out of the lineup, and that's the reason why. Uh, either way, they, they kind of got to figure it out. But I, I want to hop on a question for you real quick. Uh, Bay Bolts um, in our chat says, on the radio, the guys were highlighting Sherwood, but he thought he was kind of meh. What, what do you think about that, Eddie? You think uh, Kiefer's playing well? I think he's playing well, as in he's not as high profile as Maxim Comtois, Troy Terry, and Sam Steele. I think he was the most surprising one out of everybody to make this team. And he's he's kind of playing a similar role to what Andre Kasha did when he first made the team for the Ducks, where he was a big surprise that he had even got called up, and, and then he ended up staying up for so long just because of the energy he brought. And you could slot him up pretty much on any line. And he just played hard. And that's what Kiefer Sherwood does. He he plays hard. He occasionally makes a really good play. You know, he had the breakaway last game where he overthought it a bit and he crashed into the goaltender. But that's going to happen. He's not the most refined prospect offensively. But 
he's playing hard and and he's doing the things right. He's not making a lot of mistakes, and I think that's why he's still in the lineup. So yeah, he's he's going to be meh compared to some of these guys. I mean, maybe long term he projects as a a third line center, or sorry, third line winger at best, maybe fourth line guy. Uh, but he'll be that energy type guy, that that speedy guy that you need on a modern day bottom six. And I think that's what they can expect from him. You can't expect a guy who's going to go out and score 30 points. So if that's what you're expecting, then you're going to expect him to be a bit mad. But if you look at as a whole of what you really could thought you could have got out of him this season, I think it's a big improvement for what we would kind of expected from him. I mean, honestly, I feel like uh, he was way more noticeable and way more effective than Troy Terry. Troy yeah. Terry has a lot of expectation. I thought he looked great in camp. He just hasn't really put it together in the beginning of the season uh, for whatever reason, other than his overtime or his shootout goal, rather, the other night. I mean, this is just, I don't know, a bad showing for him. Um, tough to say because he didn't look that great with Raquel either. Raquel hasn't had a, a great start to the season as well, especially tonight. He was kind of buried. But going back to Kiefer Sherwood, I think he's a good energy guy. Uh, he's definitely noticeable. Um, I think he could stay up with the club, honestly. I'd rather see a guy like him. Um, than bringing a guy back like Gibbons. I think he's better than Gibbons and better than Carter Rowney personally. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and again, he's an easier guy to keep up because uh, his only options are San Diego and Anaheim. So, you know, you're not uh, worrying about any contract issues like you are with Comtois or Lindstrom if you keep them past the nine-game limit. The same goes for Sam Steele and Troy Terry. So likely those would be the three guys that stay up when – when you look at maybe the guys who have been the most impactful so far, it'd be the other two, and Comtois and Lindstrom, who've probably been the guys that maybe deserve to stay up a bit more. Um, Sam Steele, I think, is in the middle there. And, and surprising enough, Sam Steele actually played the most minutes of any forward for this team tonight, which is a, a big test to how much the team's relying on him with Ryan Getzlaff out of the lineup. So it's a big question mark for all these guys, honestly. Five guys who could either be in San Diego or in junior or in Sweden uh, by the time everybody comes back healthy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in all situations he played the most. Or are you looking at just five on five? No, in all situations he played the most. Holy played, smokes! Yeah, he played seventeen, eleven, I think it was, uh, and then a bunch of guys like Kessler, Lindstrom played sixteen, and then the only guys above that were, uh, I believe, defensemen and like Fowler, Lindholm, Montour, and Manson all played over twenty almost. So. Yeah, I mean, a, a big testament to what he's been doing. He played more minutes than everybody. Didn't have a great game, but looked pretty good. No. And, and obviously it's, the coaching they're, staff liked it. So Their line was heavily outchanced, outshot. Yeah. I mean, they, that line did not look good. For whatever reason, tonight it didn't look great. Um, to hit, I mean, it's just one game. But uh, yeah. to hit the chat again, Derek Lockwood brings up, what was up with that shorty? Was our power play that far out of position? Um, it was a rush, so these guys are up on the rush. Anytime you're on a rush like that and you have an outnumbered chance, there's always a player hanging back, and that was the case. And a player on the other team always hanging back, waiting to see what happens. And it just turned out to be the fastest, most deadly guy, uh, shorthanded for the for the Yotes, which is Michael Grabner. Picked up a loose puck. I mean, off that pass, off it was basically just fired on the fly across ice, and they missed. So, yeah. not necessarily out of position, but I would just say a little over aggressive when you yeah. think. It was a pinch from uh, Brandon Montour, which is why it's it, it sets up bad the other way if it's a turnover. I mean, it was a, it was a great attempt by Sam Steele to try and make that cross crease pass to uh, to Brandon Montour because if it does get through, that's a wide open net for Montour. And and again, a great instinctive pinch on Brandon Montour's part, but he gets unlucky. I think it hits a, a, a Coyotes player in front, gets blocked, and again, you've got the worst possible guy to be on the other end of it in Michael Grabner because he's going to get the ice up the ice quickly and it's a two-on-one and not much you can do. It, it sucks to give up the shorty, but it's not as bad as, say, a Ryan gets left drop pass at the blue line that leads to a shorthanded goal. Instead, it, it's a, a really good effort to try and make a, a gutsy, risky play on the power play that just didn't turn out. I'd rather see them try and make those plays more often because not every time it's going to result in a shorthanded goal. So if it does once in a while... Um, it, it's not too bad because more often than not, that play is going to end up going through, and the Ducks are going to get like, a power play goal off of it. No, that's true. It just it was just unfortunate the way that that kind of play turned out. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up the third period in overtime here. Get to uh, the meat of what happened tonight. We have some uh, post game notes that are interesting. Have you got to talk about um, the Ducks in the third period? I mean, I, I think I wrote this down a number of times. Passing is killing them. What is wrong with you guys? Why can't you pass the puck? They can't get the puck out of their zone. These, they are, our star defensemen, 
um, have been getting eaten up on social media. Everyone's ripping the Ducks defense, and I'm not so sure it's necessarily those guys. We can get to that at uh, the post game, but either way, no one can complete a pass tonight. Um, and it just keeps them hemmed in their zone. The, the Yotes it just really got a good game of, of cycle going on. They're able to make passes in the offensive zone to keep the puck in. Um, I think the Ducks were very lucky to come out of that third period with a tie game. Uh, going to overtime, I mean, that's always a great experience. The Ducks have started to look pretty good and dangerous in overtime. Lindholm, the Comtois on a breakaway, partial breakaway, I guess you could say. Ranta makes the save. Uh, looked like an easy glove save for him there. Um, I think Comtois has like four breakaways tonight, and then he has like six or seven total in the last four games. Yeah. So he needs to start scoring because uh, he would be up in the league leaders uh, point right there if he was able to put some of those in. He's not even really the fastest guy in this team either. I mean, he's a bigger guy. He's not necessarily slow, but he, he's definitely not the, the quickest of feet players. And I think that's it's not necessarily why he's getting all these breakaways. He's just in a good position. And I think a lot of people are overlooking him because he's not a, you know, a regular in the Ducks lineup. And he's just kind of sneaking in behind guys. We've seen it on a lot of plays where he just kind of sits – not not necessarily cherry picking at the blue line, but he sits between center ice and the blue line, just kind of drifts in behind a defender. And a couple times, I mean, in this one, Pedersen hit him with that uh, a long stretch pass. I think at one point, Fowler in another game where he scored, hit him with a long stretch pass. So, you know, he he kind of knows and, and knows what the defenseman for the Ducks can do and how quickly they can get the puck up the ice. And he's just sitting in those positions, ready to get a breakaway and you know you're not going to cash in every time but he's, he seemed lethal so far and now maybe he's overthinking it a bit because he did score five hole on the first two chances he he had when he was on the breakaway so now he's got to kind of figure out what he wants to do goalies are going to start getting the book on him but you know if you keep getting in those chances and in those positions you're going to score goals so it's great to see him getting in them 100 percent i i can't couldn't agree with you more man i think ranta really really wanted this win tonight though we talked about it last game right that they're going to come to play tonight and get the win they hadn't won yet this season so they get out of overtime go to a shootout raquel denied trying to go five hole strange uh and they'll get stranger cousin scores on gibby as gibby goes for the poke check makes it one nothing in the shootout and then uh five hole troy terry goes five hole but gets denied so there's another chance there denied by anti-ranta and then Clayton Keller gets denied. Try to go backhand high on Gibby. Gibby's just so big. Keller's got to yeah. really try to roof that puck. He got in way too tight on Gibson there, and he was able to make the save. But then another five-hole attempt, this time by Jakob Silverberg, who I thought was going to try to go high glove. Um, Anti-Ronto, for whatever reason, um, apparently has a book out on him that you got to go five-hole. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't three know for where. three. <laughs> It, it didn't I mean, work in game. Uh, it didn't not work at all. in the shootout. I, I mean, maybe that's what he's selling to them, his five hole. And he got all three of them to bite on it. I don't know. I mean, Troy Terry, from what we've seen, his success in the shootout has come five hole. So maybe that's just comfortable for him. He talked about it, I think, after last game where he got the winner where it's a lot of pressure on him all of a sudden because now he has to go out there and perform and has to, you know, they everybody expects him to score. So maybe that's his go-to when, when he's a little bit nervous going out there. So I, I guess, but yeah, Silverberg, an interesting one to go 5 hole because usually he's a guy who likes to shoot at top corner. He decides what he's going to do before he even touches the puck. It's surprising to see, you know, he sees two guys go get denied 5 hole and try and do it again. Um, I don't know. Um, they must have had some kind of book, like you said, on Ronto, but it didn't work out. No, they had the wrong book. Clearly, that yeah. was terrible. I thought they would. Someone Maybe would try to change Darcy it up. Camper's book. <laughs> you don't. You don't see the Ducks honestly go for too many deeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't see a lot of that. It's a lot of shooting. Um, maybe some feints before they get to the top of the crease, but not a lot of like uh, just dangles at the top of them trying to bury on the backhand or wrap, you know, fake them forehand, go backhand. Ducks don't do a lot of that. They just come in tight and try to score five four or. I don't know. I think maybe maybe a little more creativity rather than always showing shot might help them here. But either way, I'm not a professional. Ducks go down in this game, though. Uh, three to two in the shootout. Get that point, though. Seven out of eight. Um, I got to ask a question in chat. I know anyone listening, this makes no sense. But what, Gordon Bombay in the chat said that uh, he was busy surviving lunchbox again. So apparently at the game, there were lunchboxes for people. I think it was a lunchbox it's, promotion night or something. Maybe that. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't I, I wasn't at the game I didn't see the promotion so apparently some of these guys were if you guys want to say something in the chat about that I mean I don't want to waste too much time but I was like what the hell does that mean <laughs> survive lunch I saw it on Twitter like a lot like there was some people who didn't get it and people were getting upset 
And, uh, yeah, I just, I'm going to pull it up here. Yeah, yeah, okay, here it is. So, uh, throwback plastic lunchbox presented by Chick-fil-A. So, I'm assuming it's like a Mighty Ducks lunchbox. Uh, and people are just going nuts over it. I guess it looks like it's like the only good one for a while. Uh, they had like a magnet schedule for the home opener against Detroit. Oh, it had Mighty Ducks logos on them. Bay Bolts just said, yeah. Yeah, and then like they don't really have anything good for a while, it looks like. Uh, they get a hat on November 12th. Jack-o'-lantern stencils the day before Halloween. <laughs> and uh Hockey glove oven mitt on November eighteenth. Oh, yeah, and and there's a bunch of stuff like Christmas. They start getting like the ugly sweaters and throwback hats and stuff. And oh, here we go. Now now it's lighting up in our chat. They were giving away lunch boxes, dude. They had tables up outside. People bum rushed that shit. Uh, they had Mighty Ducks logos on them. Even Jimmy said it was chaos. <laughs> People were going crazy. <laughs> anyway, not too much time on that. Thank you guys for posting that because I would have never known or looked it up or heard about it. But let's get to uh, some post game notes. This wasn't one of our questions, so maybe I should bring it up now. Uh, Talking about the Anaheim Ducks defensive pairings, what the hell? Um, You mentioned on our Twitter feed we got to see Lindholm back with Manson briefly at the end of the third period. Yeah. Um, What the hell is going on? I I don't understand why they continue to play this sort of defense that just doesn't work. I mean, Benjamin Russell on Facebook says, can you convince RC to go back to Manson, Lindholm, Fowler, Montour lines? Our defense currently has no chemistry. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, what makes no sense is the fact that you're going to go to Lindholm and Manson if if you're Randy Carlisle because you know it works. So you're like, yeah, you know what? This this pairing works. We're getting outplayed a bit right now. Let's go to them for the final three minutes and uh, hopefully we'll play well. And it worked out. I mean, obviously, Lindholm Manson, anytime they're together, it works out. And uh, what I don't get is, well, how do you how do you not see that? At least, in the, like, not to, maybe not to start the game, but through the second period into the third, where the Ducks were clearly getting outplayed, why not put them together then? And you look at not even just this game, the three games prior, where the defense pairings weren't working out, the Ducks were getting outshot, outpossessed. Wouldn't it make sense to put them back together? I don't know. I don't have access to the conversations that Randy Carlisle has with his, his coaching staff, but it makes no sense, honestly. I mean, Fowler and Manson were horrible in this game. They bled shot attempts. Scoring chances were not in their favor. On the other hand, Montour... You know who wasn't awful? Lindholm and Montour. Montour and Lindholm, baby. Yeah, they were good, and they were really good in this game, and not even just in, in shot attempts and scoring chances. They they were heavily out-favored, and they, uh, I think they had 11 scoring chances, 4 and 4 or 5 against as a pairing, so that's that's outstanding for them, especially in a game where you got outshot heavily. They were the only bright spot on that blue line, and I think they really have been. I think there's two games where they weren't that great and two games where they were. I think it was the first game against San Jose, they were good, and then this one. Fowler and Manson have been bad pretty much all four games. And then that bottom pairing has just been what we kind of expected from it. I don't know why you don't at least try it. Try going back to Lindholm and Manson. Try going back to Fowler and Montour. See how it works for three games. If it doesn't, then go ahead and experiment. But this experiment and switching of these two pairings came out of nowhere to start the season. There was really no explanation for it. They just kind of were running it in preseason. Didn't even look that great in preseason. And then just stuck with it. And now they're just they're defending it and just keep going with it. I, I have no idea. It makes no sense. Well, I mean, if you're looking at it from this point of view now, so is it, now this begs the question, I'm going to assign you your next Pucks of a Feather article, Eddie, uh, oh, so you don't have you to go are. looking for one. Who drives the bus? Is it Brandon Montour? Or is it Hampus Lindholm? Is Lindholm the magic key that makes everybody better? Or is it Brandon Montour? Brandon Montour starts playing uh, without boat anchors and plays with Cam Fowler. Cam Fowler all of a sudden turns into being a great defenseman last year. And now he's playing with Hampus Lindholm. Lindholm kind of finished last season a little bit rocky. Now he's coming back. And look at this game today. Uh, small sample size, Eddie, but I think it's worth a deep dive for you, man. I hope you can uh, have all the time in the world to get on that. I think historically you would have to say it's Hampus Lindholm because we've seen it in the past, <laughs> right? I mean, right. over multiple seasons, you look at just improvements when he's on the ice with certain players. There always seems to be an improvement. Uh, never is he on the ice in a detriment to the, the uh, players he's playing with. Brandon Montour, I don't think there's a big enough sample size for that. Um, you know, you could maybe take into account last season, which was really his first, I guess, full season with the Ducks, where he was relied upon to play a top four role after Sammy Botton was 
uh, sent out to New Jersey. So I feel like that is a little bit something you can look into this season and see if he's drove play not with just the defense pairing he's on, but with the forwards that are on the ice as well. And, and maybe he is the catalyst for that. And maybe maybe it's both Lindholm and Montour. And the fact that they are put together just kind of amplified that factor. And if it is both of them, again, it speaks to the fact that why not split them up and have that benefit on both pairings and go back to not only one that two the pairings that have more chemistry, but if Lindholm is, is driving play and Montour is driving play and improving the players they're playing with, would it not be better to have that on two separate pairings? I don't know. It seems seems simple to me and I think a lot of other people, but uh, for some reason they're sticking with the pairings that they've started with uh, at the beginning of the season. So let's keep on the defensive talk here. Joseph Raba from Facebook says, do you think we need to upgrade the defense? Montour is obviously not a top four guy and is having a terrible game tonight. First off, before you answer that question, I just want to make a quick comment on it. Uh, the key word in that question was tonight. Uh, we're four games in, so let's not you know say that he's also not a top four defense. We know how much he did last season. But, Eddie, what's your feelings on Brandon Montour? I know you kind of just said a little bit about him, but do you, have, do you think there's anything to worry about with him? I don't think so. I think I've liked generally what I've seen from him. It, it is really, you know, it's only four games into the season, so it's hard to completely judge a guy. But I think he's made some improvements. I think he, he picks his spots where to pinch better. And obviously, one of them resulted in a shorthanded goal this game, but there wasn't much you could do on that. The fact that the pass ended up hitting a uh, Arizona Coyote player that bounced out to Michael Grabner. I think he's been better. He's gotten to better positions. He's picked his time to to pinch up. He, he's really uh, become a, a play driver for this team. Something that Sammy Vaughn was really the only guy that did that for the Ducks, and that was something we lauded him for, for being a guy to, to not only take the puck off the ice, but really control uh, have a controlled zone entry and take the puck behind the net and help the Ducks get set up. Brandon Montour has been doing a lot more of that. So I think... You know, maybe if they switch the pairings up or he gets a little bit more comfortable or some of these guys come back into the lineup like Getzlaff and Kasha that can really help up front, I think we're going to see that benefit more, not just seeing the play happen, but on the score sheet for Brandon Montour too. I think what people need to realize too, when you say defense, excuse me, when you say defense, in my mind you're talking about the entire team and how they're defending the puck on the ice. Um, I know it sounds stupid, but it's true. When you say defenseman and you're talking about how the defenseman handles the play, and how he's able to clear the zone, if he's carrying the puck out with a zone exit, or is he just banging it off the glass like Clayton Stoner would. Um, what you really need to pay attention to is how are the forwards defending in the zone, and are they leaving the defenseman hanging to dry? Because there's a lot yeah. to be said there when you're talking about team defense. So, I mean, people got to be very careful how they pick apart their favorite players that were there last year just because they're having a slow start this year. And I'm not saying that criticism shouldn't be there because you know me, I like to criticize um, and, you know, put these guys on the spot but i i kind of feel like we need a larger sample size and maybe start taking a look at how the ducks forward defensive side of things before we start crushing our defensemen um who are not named luke shin but uh <laughs> moving on here just a second another defenseman question which i'm going to stay on this topic drew mccool from our chat says are we going to see cam take the next step to be a true number one sure he's a top four but looking pretty vanilla maybe that's a ceiling i would have to agree um, I was a big person that, uh, at least on this show, you know, me, I'm big in media, as everyone knows. Um, but I said that his contract was a little inflated. I felt like the Ducks gave him too much money and too much term when he was signed. He's not a number one defenseman in my eyes. I think he's a 2-3. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think I think he is. I think he's a 2-3. But honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. I think where not the Ducks all. ended up drafting him, you don't really always get, or you, I don't think you really ever get, honestly, a, a number one guy or a guaranteed number one guy at that position. They did get him in the first round, and he fell a bit for obvious reasons, which have come to fruition as of sorts uh, so far in the NHL. But, no, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he, he's a modern-day defenseman. He's mobile. He gets the puck up. He has he has his moment when he's paired with the right guy where he looks like a, a really good number one defenseman. But consistently, I don't think he's going to be that. But he'll be a big part of of this team in the future. Honestly, I think the only guy who really has a shot at being a number one on this team is Hampus Lindholm. Uh, but, you know, when you have Montour, Fowler, and Manson, who could all, you could comfortably say all of them are probably two, three guys. Maybe Manson, you say, is more of a three, four. 
Uh, but that's what you need. I mean, you need guys like that in your team. You're not going to have four number one guys. And, you know, if at least you have one guy who has a shot at being a number one, and you've still got some young guys coming through the pipe in, in Mahura and uh, Jakob Larson, if he ever makes it to the team, there's nothing wrong with having a, a young, mobile defenseman who's going to be a 2-3 at best. You know, he's not going to be worse than a four, so he's right around a guy that's going to contribute on a nightly basis, play 24, 25 minutes. So he's still a big part of this team. Not everyone gets the opportunity to have Eric Carlson and Brent Burns on the same team or P.K. Yeah. Subban and, and Roman Yossi. That's Victor Hedman. You could go around a few of the teams and be like, yeah, that just doesn't happen very often. So nothing wrong with that at all. But I don't think he's a number one defenseman and he won't be, which is perfectly fine. Um, let's talk about the man of the hour, um, the man of the past few hours, Ryan Kessler with a surprise comeback tonight. No one really expected him back. Um, they kind of felt that, uh, they meaning, you know, us and people in the media kind of felt that, that it was going to be Ryan Getzloff to be making his appearance back in the lineup, uh, with the waving of Auburg. turns out Kessler is, is here. He scores a goal in his first game. We've got some questions about him, Eddie. So let's go ahead and talk about him a little bit here. Um, the McCain says thoughts on Kessler now versus when he returned last season. How do you feel the difference is? Is it night and day for you, or do you kind of still feel, like you said earlier, a little apprehensive? I don't think it's night and day, and I mean it is only one game, right? So I liked what I saw from him. He did look like he was holding back a bit, which is understandable for a guy who hasn't really played anything all summer. I mean, he's obviously practiced and trained, but he really hasn't played any meaningful hockey at all since last year where he wasn't at 100%. So I think if he he's obviously feeling a lot better because I don't think this team would let him come back if he wasn't 100%. And now it's just getting used to feeling that way again. I mean, he played a whole season on injuries. I mean, that, that's got to be tough. And now he's coming back and he feels a lot better and he's kind of got to get used to what he can do again. And I think we saw a bit of that in this game where he maybe was a little bit apprehensive to go to the front of the net or, or go battle down low. And he picks up a goal, nothing wrong with that. He plays well. He wins some key face-offs, which is what he's here to do. And I think the more and more he gets comfortable, the more we're going to see the Kessler of old. Maybe not exactly the same, but I think eventually it's going to be no question that he's better than what we saw from him last year. And I think that should be obvious with him coming back likely 100% healthy. Five on five, extremely effective. Uh, he was it was on the favorable side of the scoring chances and uh, the shot share. So I think he had a good showing. I got to say, his skating looked really good. Um, yeah. He was moving around. He was in overtime, um, I believe. And yeah, I think I thought he skated really well, man. I, I had no complaints other than maybe not as physical as uh, I would like. But other than that, I think Ryan Kessler looked good tonight. Um, solid showing for him. Um, and so that kind of covers the Kessler question. I mean, but I do want to give a shout out to Anaheim Ducks fan one who asked us the question on Instagram. Do you think he's 100 percent? I don't that's tough to say. I think he's hundred percent physically, but maybe not mentally. And he's got to get back with game speed. I yeah. mean, everyone says that uh you know, he's a professional. Well, how long is it gonna take? It takes a couple games to uh, to get your legs under you, I mean, no matter who you are. Plus yeah. you're talking about a thirty four year old guy who's got like a you know, a forty four year old miles on him NHL wise. I mean, this guy's played through some hellish battles. I mean, that surgery was insanely major, so Kudos to him coming back, but uh, not 100%, I would say, mentally. But, I mean, I, I agree with you. 100% physically, he's back into the game. Um, and that also was a question that His Hairness had to say, too, part of it. Thoughts on Kessler. So let's talk about the other part of uh, His Hairness's question from Instagram. He says, thoughts on the Ducklings play so far? Eddie, I'm going to task this for you because um, I want to. But uh, rank <laughs> them from most likely to stay and the least likely to stay with the team. So let's <clears throat> let's start with uh, Kiefer Sherwood. Uh, I, it's so tough because I want to say Comtois and Lindstrom because I think they've been the most impressive, but I I, I just don't see both of them staying up. So I, I would say Kiefer Sherwood is probably fourth out of the five and, and most likely to stay. I think if anybody... Fourth meaning like, on the bottom if, and one yeah, being so other, like most likely? Yeah, so I think because if out of the three guys eligible for San Diego, I think he's the most likely to have a stretch of maybe a couple games where he's just not that impressive. Uh, he's also not as a high-profile guy, and, and once Andre Kasher comes back, he's kind of a likely guy to get the boot and sent back to San Diego. Not at his own fault, but just because you know they, they still expect a bit more to Troy Terry, and I'm sure they want to see what he can do. What about let's go with let's go with Sam Steele. 
I, I think I would put Sam Steele at number two if Ryan Getzlaff comes back sooner rather than later. Because Sam Steele is a guy they most likely want to play at center, whether it be with the Ducks or in San Diego, if Getzlaff, Henrik, and Kessler are all 100% healthy, that relegates Sam Steele to the fourth line. And I don't think they want to play him there. Uh, not to say, I mean, he, he played the most minutes tonight. He's been responsible. The offense hasn't really been there. So maybe it's more beneficial to send him back down to San Diego, get used to playing down there, maybe get some more confidence in, in his offensive side of the game. And then uh, if injuries come back later on or they if he's playing so well down there that they have to call him up, then I think that makes sense. So I'd, I'd probably put him uh, at two or three. Now, how about Troy Terry? And I mean, I know he played a little, he played a couple games last season, but what, how do you feel about Troy Terry so far? I think Troy Terry is the top of my list, and, that, and you know he hasn't been necessarily impressive so far. I like his playmaking, but when you think that Corey Perry is going to be out until the new year, uh, Andre Kasha, we have no idea, but uh, could be a couple weeks, could be a couple months. You don't really know. Patrick Eves seems to be at least a couple weeks out, if not more. That leaves them with Silverberg and Troy Terry on the right side. And, and and Gibbons, if he can come back, and maybe moving some left-wingers over there. So I think Troy Terry is the most likely just because of the positional basis of the fact that the Ducks are really short on the right side with all these injuries. Let's go with Isaac Lundestrom. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I, w- I would have to put him at five. I think he deserves to be higher because of his play. But when you look at the fact that the Ducks might have to keep two guys up in burn entry-level contracts, I think they only decide to go with one. Um, so I think that means because of the play of, of Max Comtois, and again, because Lindstrom is, is a center, I think if Getzlaff, uh, Henrik, and Kessler are all healthy, I just think it's likely that he gets sent back to Sweden before they get to that point. And also the fact that he didn't really play the first few games either, and he only came into the lineup because Ryan Getzlaff got injured. And now let's talk about last, but certainly not least, Maxime Comtois. Yeah, and I would have to put him right around with Sam Steele in around two or three, and that's uh, only, I think, if he continues to play the way he's been playing, and, and he seems like he is. I mean, he doesn't have to put up points every night, but as long as he's getting breakaways or just being in a good position to get scoring chances, continuing to, to, to be a playmaker the way he's been and, and just be involved in all facets of the game, I think he's made a, a more of a case than anybody to stick with this team. But just again, because... He's a guy that would burn in a year off his entry level if he stays past the nine-game mark. I can't put him in front of a guy like Troy Terry because that just seems like a Bob Murray type of move to not keep him past that and send him back down to Drummondville. All right, so we have a question on Twitter from Lil Hedge. He says, is Comtois ready? I think that answers the question. Yeah. Uh, he is ready for the NHL just based on these four games. I would think unless he drops off a cliff in the, uh, the remaining games here before his nine um, and then I want to get to uh, Jimmy left a question for us. Jimmy714 uh, from Instagram says, what has happened to Ricard Raquel? What indeed has happened? In my opinion, it's Ryan Getzloff. That's what's happened to Ricard That's Raquel. That's your favorite argument. <laughs> That's what it is. Is that, that Ricard Raquel without Ryan Getzloff isn't necessarily the Ricard Raquel that we're used to. Um, I mean, he's, he's kind of proven that, right? He hasn't played that well since Ryan Getzloff went down. No, I mean, Sam Steele is Sam Steele, but he's not Ryan Getzloff. That's, yeah. you know, he's got a he's got to bald his head first, uh, maybe gain four or five inches, maybe gain another 30, 40 pounds. Uh, I don't know. Maybe then he'll play like Ryan Getzloff. But until then, uh, Ricard Raquel will forever be bad until next week when uh, Ryan Getzloff comes back. That's my hot take. Um, I think we have a couple more. Have we? It's a good one from Victor CR from Twitter. Um, he writes in, have we seen the last of Kevin Waugh with Anaheim or is he now trade bait? Uh, much loved Kevin Waugh. Mm-hmm. I think, I believe he's still hurt. I don't know if he's played in San Diego the first few games. I'm going to double check that when I'm talking here, but I don't think we've necessarily seen the last of him. Um, we didn't, again, even if he is healthy right now and he's playing with San Diego, he's a guy that we didn't get to see a lot of in preseason at all because I believe he was dealing with an injury and it's hard to insert a guy into the lineup. I think I would feel the same about uh, Max Jones if he was healthy and ready to go as well because you didn't get to see him in the rookie tournament really. You didn't get to see him in preseason and he's really been out of the lineup for most of the time. Um, Looking at the goals roster right now, Kevin Waugh isn't even listed so I'm sure he's still hurt. So I don't necessarily think it's the end of the road for him but it definitely is going to be hard for him to get back in the lineup if 
Yeah, when you look at the way Max Comtois is playing, you look at Tori Terry, Sam Steele, and Isaac Lindstrom all playing right now in front of him because of his injury. And I guess I could feel the same way about Max Jones as well. I don't necessarily think their time is up. Max Jones is obviously a younger player. But when they get back into the lineup, likely with the goals, they're going to have to do a lot of work. They're going to have to impress not just the, the management staff down in the goals, but they're going to have to impress the Ducks coaching staff and Bob Murray if they're going to get a call up this year. And, you know, nothing's even been said about Nick Ritchie right now, right? I mean, yeah, we don't know exactly. when he's coming back. It's another, that's another roster spot to fill. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, shoot, there's not a lot of room in this lineup when everyone's healthy. So it'll be very interesting to see if he gets a chance. Um, let's get to the last question here. Ice Tigers forever. How can the Ducks improve their defense, Eddie? Is there any simple answer we can give? Or uh, have we already covered that by switch to damn D pairings? Yeah, that's it. Uh, what else, I mean, what else they can, can they really do, right? Uh, uh, Lynn Holman Bonter has been okay at times. Foul Trade for Eric Carlson. Come yeah. on now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trade for maybe a better. I mean, even if you even if you go out, honestly, like, uh, maybe not at the deadline, even before that, go out and get a better third pairing guy it's not going to really make them that much better you would have to go out and get a top four guy and is it even worth it then to give the assets to do that to bump a guy like Fowler or Lindholm Manson or Montour down to the bottom pairing where arguably they don't belong uh, I think the Ducks can, can promote from within before they even have to do that and, and maybe give Jakob Larson another shot or promote Josh Maher and give him a chance or if Andy Walensky can find his feet under him in San Diego give him a shot they've got a lot of depth and young blue liners down in San Diego that they can give a shot, I think, before they go out. So if it's not involving switching the D pairings, which is probably the easy and most likely option, I think it's it's calling up a guy like Josh Mahura and maybe replacing Pedersen or replacing uh, Suster and Shen. You won't have the right-handed shot on that bottom pairing, but I really want to see what Josh Mahura can do uh, on this team because I feel like he's he's really an upgrade offensively compared to what they have on that bottom pairing. No, I would have to agree with you on that. Um, I, got it. I, I didn't want to ask this question, but I know he'd be very disappointed if we didn't ask. So uh, co-host who could not be here, Jason Lamb, writes in and says, why are goalies so important, smart, good-looking, charming, funny, <laughs> uh, great in general, and most important type of person ever asking for a friend? Oh, man. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know, Jay. I don't it know, sounds man. like I, his I friend is John Gibson, and he's just yeah, fed that's up what with he's talking about. The guy's got so great far. flow. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's an athlete. He's making millions of dollars. I think you're right. I think he's talking about John Gibson, man. So there you have I'd it. I'd be surprised. A um, couple of quick things we have to talk about, um, just basically NHL-wise. You said it a little bit earlier, but Gritty, you're not a fan of Gritty? The, no, no, uh, I'm a fan of Gritty. Flyers it's master. just weird. I don't understand why it blew up so much. Um, because he fell on his ass. No, and he, then was, they he got was blown up, up before they, that. I think it was when he fell, wasn't it? No, nah, he got announced and it just went nuts. And then he fell the same night, so it just like added to it. And then like everybody started picking it up. And it, that he fell, and then it all just kind of snowballed from there. And now he's just everywhere. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he's at like the he was at the Philadelphia Phillies game with the Philly Fanatic. That makes sense. He's in Philadelphia, but then he's just everywhere. He's on Barstool. He's on Fallon. He's just everywhere. Like he I mean, he was everywhere for a good week, and and now it's kind of died down a bit. But he always just kind of finds his way back onto social media. He did the wrecking ball thing, I think today or maybe yesterday, and now he's just found his way back. Uh, it's great media and great social media effort from the Philadelphia Flyers to just really get their name out there through this crazy, ridiculous mascot. And they they, they went the same route maybe as Edmonton, but they didn't play it off like it was a good mascot or a good-looking mascot. They played it off like it was a crazy, ridiculous-looking mascot that does ridiculous things. And it just brings a bunch of attention to their team, and none of it's negative. I mean, he's not doing offensive things. I mean, he's, like, a, he's a typical Philadelphia Flyer fan uh, without right. the F-bombs and yeah. throwing beers. That's what yeah. he is. The most borderline thing he did was shoot a T-shirt gun at a fan, and that was it. And now he's, or, now he's just doing everything. I remember he went to like some store and shoved all their shark stuffed animals on the ground. I was jumping on him. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, I'm he sure that was a plan, though. Like, I'm sure <laughs> of he course it was. The store, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder Derek. how much does a guy like that get paid. Like, Not a does lot. he just get paid a salary or like the fact that it blown up? Is he just sitting there like, yeah, this is all me. Like, Eddie, you I, know that he's not like really, he doesn't really look like that as a guy inside no, the No, that's what I'm right? saying though. That's I mean, like, what does that guy <laughs> get paid? Because I mean, I don't think even the Flyers expected to get this big. 
And like, does he I get feel paid like there's more than one person that plays him. Maybe same thing they do with like Disney characters. They have multiple people play those people. I don't think it's Maybe. just one guy. Maybe yeah, but I feel like yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he'd have to be super tall. I mean, that guy's like seven feet tall, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's at least six five. I mean, even like in the in in the costume, it's taller than that. But I would assure, assume the guy inside isn't seven feet because that'd be hard to go out and hire a couple guys like that. Uh, I don't know, man. If I was the guy in the costume and I was like being asked to go on Fallon and do stuff for Barstool, Barstool, I'd be like, yeah, pay me a bit more money because look at how much uh, attention I'm bringing to you guys. You're getting all the press in the world from me. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> now we got to talk about our favorite rival in the NHL, the Nashville Predators. Uh, put up some very interesting banners the other night. Uh, I believe it was last night, actually. Um, they put up a regular season Western Conference Champions Trophy, a President's Trophy uh, banner, and a Central Division Champions uh, banner. Um, they got a lot of crap for these. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I retweeted, I believe it was uh, Chip from Totally Offsides who tweet, had retweeted somebody else named Sarah Jenkins who posted, when, when every job wants five-plus years of experience, so you stretch your accomplishments on your resume. That made me laugh my ass off, man. How do you feel about this? I feel like there's other teams that have had these regular season champion trophies. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of weird, but this just looked really bad. Well, I mean, we went off, I think, I think there's some puck guys we went off at the Minnesota Wild for having their fans banner, and that was the only banner they had up in their entire arena. Uh, so it's not the worst, but it's not great. It kind of looks stupid, right? I mean, you're celebrating, you know, the President's Trophy, fine, whatever. I, I kind of get that one. It is a meaningless award in a sense, but it's a trophy, right? So sure, put that up there. They won the division. I, you know, the Ducks put the Pacific Division banners up there. Sure, the Western Conference regular season champion one was ridiculous. Like, come on! Like, I haven't seen anybody do that one. But when the fact of the matter is, you can have a banner up there that says Western Conference Playoff Champions, which means a lot more. And the Vegas Golden Knights get to put that up in their arena. And then you've got one that says regular season Western Conference champion. Just keep President's Trophy. Like, don't. <laughs> Don't add that in there. That now you just look stupid. I mean, if they had a, just did President's Trophy and the Central Division champions, I feel like it wouldn't have been that bad. But then they added that third ridiculous one in there, and then everybody just went nuts. Everyone's losing their mind about it, man. I thought it was really funny. Um, I think uh, it is what it is. If if that's all you got, man. I mean, you were kind of good, right? You yeah. get you get an award. It's like you were good during the regular season. Your, that's it. Yeah, someone on uh, on Twitter uh, replied back to Pete Blackburn, who's a sports writer, and he uh, the, the Detroit Red Wings have them. Two thousand three, two thousand four Western Conference regular season champions. Uh, Washington Capitals have them. Regular season Eastern Conference champions. So I mean, it does happen, but it's just it's funny, I guess, for Nashville. But uh, just because we hate them, maybe that's the reason why. I don't um, know. Probably. So that wraps up everything, man. We covered everything top to bottom. I uh, just want to mention here for everybody um, who's listening, we appreciate you guys. Got to give a shout out. We have another Patreon, man. Now, someone subscribed to our tier, one of our tiers, and uh, it was it was someone from Australia, which is pretty cool. But I uh, got to give the shout out to Josh Nash for signing up and helping us out. We appreciate it, man. We're gonna send you that uh, puck bottle opener all the way out to Australia. So when it gets there, it gets there. We'll let you know when we send it, man. I'm not sure how long it's gonna take. But uh, we'll definitely get you that puck bottle opener with the Forever Mighty logo on it. Um, thank you for all the support, you guys. To anyone who's who's pitched in there, uh, to all those who show up on Spreaker all the time. I mean, our regulars are here tonight: Gordon Bombay, Derek Lockwood, Bay Bolts, Drew's in here. Um, <clears throat> appreciate you guys. Derek's in here as well, so we love that. Uh, we also have a watch party coming up. I don't want to make this as long-winded as it was last time, but uh, it's next weekend. Eddie, you're flying in from uh, Toronto because, you know, Sudbury doesn't have an airport, so i got to say you're from Toronto. Soon. Thursday. I mean, it's... Thursday. A uh, week from tomorrow. It's not going to be fun. It's a long bus ride. Yeah, man. I don't have to tell you, dude. you got to get a teleporter. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, you're busting in from way up north to get to Toronto to fly out here next Thursday. Uh, We're having a watch party that that Saturday, which would be... um, really cool at a lamppost pizza out here in your belinda there's details all over social media please show up hang out have fun pizza beer 
Ducks hockey. We have giveaways, prizes, all of that. Plus, if you're a Patreon member and you haven't already signed up for any of the tiers, please do so if you want to win some Paul Korea tickets. Uh, we're doing a raffle for those. We're going to be holding that raffle this weekend. So uh, if you've already signed up for our our Patreon, we don't care what tier it is. We just uh, want to give away these tickets to somebody who's supporting here. And um, they're great seats in the lower 200s. Come hang out with us. We're sure we're going to pregame somewhere, and then we'll meet up with you guys in our mission and hang out. But uh, it'll be fun to, to hang out with some, some of the, some of the porter, uh, supporters on our show. Um, and to answer your question, Derek Lockwood, yes. Um, Eddie will be taking a bus for six hours to the airport. Seven hours to the airport, as Eddie just replied in, in uh, chat. So Eddie's got a hell of a day. He's got a seven-hour bus ride, and then he's spending the night at the airport and then flying out the next day to land here in orange county at three o'clock in the afternoon so holy shit man that's like how many how many hours are you gonna be traveling uh, i think it'd be like an entire day i pick up three hours but i think it's like a 24 hour ordeal because i have to leave at like four on um on wednesday and i get there at four or 3 p.m your time on thursday so i'm pretty sure it's like 24 hours so that'll be fun that's a long day man it's a very long day. <laughs> more base tripping our Patreon in the chat. More like Lametron, Lametreon, or more like Patreon. <laughs> man, what's up with the hate, Gordon? Come well, on, you want man. to go go look at the? We just put out a bonus show on Patreon for everybody who's enjoying listening to that. Who's a Patreon right now? Thank you for listening to that. We have a couple more coming this month. Uh, we do have a, a little snippet of that on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you want to go see if you like it, Pat just rants about uh, wooing. At the Anaheim Ducks games, we also talked about uh, players going to the Olympics, NHL players specifically, and then uh, we got somebody to phone in to rile Pat up about uh, analytics. So it was pretty fun. It was a pretty fun show. Yeah, that, that caught me off guard. I had no idea he was going to call in. That was hilarious. Uh, we still love you, Gordon. Um, <laughs> oh, and Jimmy says, better have some in and out waiting for you, Eddie. So we got to figure that out for you, some food situation here. But we're running a little long here tonight, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone on Spreaker, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, we love you guys. Everyone who supported us on Patreon, we appreciate that so much. We love doing it, and I uh, love giving back. So uh, we'll talk to you guys here coming up on Saturday night is the next Ducks game, and we'll see you guys then. Have a great night.